One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There is a creature known to Buddhist monks, but you will probably never hear of its name. They have sheltered it in secrecy for thousands of years, high atop a mountain monastery in Tibet. Such creatures are made of a kind of plasma. They look much like translucent jellyfish in transverse space between planets. The reason you will never hear of it is that it is a guarded secret of the ancient black masters. For many thousands of years, the order has occupied the monastery, which is built into the rock of the mountain. They rarely venture from it. The impoverished peasants below hold and have always held them with great regard. It was the greatest wish of all families that one of their children would be chosen to become one of these monks. Once every twelve years, the monastery would open the compound gate to choose which children would be accepted into the teachings. Boys between the ages of five and nine would hike with their families the long path up the mountain. The families were not allowed to stay, so children were then left at the gate. The boys would wait outside in silence and stillness until the monks would come and choose. They would be made to wait days without food or water. Most would leave and wander home. Once the monk opened the gate and chose those who were deemed worthy, they would be taken within the sanctuary walls. If the parents did not see their child returning from the mountain, they knew their son was accepted. Sadly, however, he would never be allowed out or to see his family again until he was in his twenties. While this was hard on their families, they knew that their child would be taken care of and later in life be able to take care of the family and bring them honor. In a world of abject poverty and starvation, this was the greatest wish and hope of these parents. The child would be dressed and prepared and led by a monk up to one of the higher building rooms. The monk would unbind ropes that locked two wooden doors and place the boy inside standing before the altar. He would then lock him in alone. Spaces and walls close to the ceiling let in only light. The altar ran the length of the room carved into the rock five feet high and twelve feet deep. 
In the center of this step, a round hole five feet in diameter had been bored out. The hole in the stone was perfectly cylindrical twenty feet down and concave at the bottom. Of course, the boy could not see this or the hole itself, only the thing that protruded from it. That clear, gelatinous-looking, dome-shaped monster seemed to sit on the altar, as the rest of its body tendrils rested within a hole. While the creature had no eyes of its own, it appeared as if someone had penciled Asian eyes onto its mass, and they stared at him. The boy stood frozen, crying at the sight. The creature did not move toward him, yet somehow drew the soul and life force from the child's body, killing him. As his tiny body collapses to the floor, the plasma monster encases his soul in a clear sphere from which it could not escape. It looked like a tiny spark of light inside a glass ball. A tendril moved up from the hole and wrapped around it, pulling it beneath. The plasma monster sits upon them, all the while feeding off the trapped soul's energy. There are thousands of these balls in the well. The ones at the bottom are dead and used up, resembling grains of black sand at the bottom of the glass ball. Further up the hole, the souls are newer and still have some life left. It takes a few hundred years of draining and feeding before the soul is completely dead. Many believe the soul cannot be killed, and for the most part this is true. Yet, this is one of the true monstrosities capable of such an atrocity those parents never knew the fate that awaited their child when they brought him to the monastery. They never knew the horror and suffering that beset him. They will never know how his soul suffered for hundreds of years until it was finally wholly consumed. I know you think this is a fairy tale that these things are not possible. The truth is these plasma monsters are real, however, in their natural state. They are harmless, gentle giants that move through the vastness of space between planets, not on them. This monster was captured and contained by the evil black order that masks honorable and noble monks. They who, through ritual and ancient rites, entrapped and enslaved this plasma being down here for thousands of years in its own prison as an instrument of their black fare. I do not know why they would need this entity to harvest souls for them when they are capable of extracting souls on their own. All I know is that there is a monster with Asian eyes in the monastery on the mountain. In fact, there are many of them. In a small hunting community nestled in the heart of Texas, unsettling reports of missing hunters begin to surface, casting a dark cloud of fear and uncertainty over the locals. Whispers and rumors spread like wildfire, painting a vivid picture of a mysterious creature lurking within the dips of the nearby woods. Stories of encounters with this elusive predator send shivers down the spines of those who dare to venture into the wilderness. As a seasoned hunter and a devoted enthusiast of cryptids, I couldn't resist the call to action. My name is Joe, and I am not only a hunter, but also a podcaster who delves into the world of mythical creatures. I decided to take it upon myself to investigate these reports, firmly convinced that there is more to this mystery than meets the eye. Equipped with my trusted rifle, a recorder, and a thirst for the truth, I venture into the supposed territory of the creature. The scent of pine and damp earth fills the air as I follow the unique trail left behind by this unknown predator. With each step, I can't help but feel a mixture of excitement and trepidation coursing through my veins. Suddenly my senses sharpen as I catch a glimpse of movement ahead. My heart pounds against my chest as I raise my rifle, ready for whatever awaits me. And then I see it the creature. Standing before me is a beastly figure, resembling a hairy human with enormous arms and a snout. It's strikingly similar to the infamous dogman, a creature of folklore and lore. Fear grips me, but my determination outweighs my fright. I brace myself for an encounter knowing that this could be the pivotal moment that unravels the truth. In an instant, the creature lunges at me with ferocious intent. Instinct kicks in, and I manage to sidestep its attack, my heart pounding. Without hesitation, 
I aim my rifle and release a shot that echoes through the trees. The creature stumbles back, wounded, its eerie growls filling the air. I stand my ground, knowing that this could be the answer to the community's fears. With one final shot, the creature falls silent, lifeless. Relief washes over me, but it is short-lived. I reach for my phone and dial the authorities, eager to share my discovery. When they arrive, they survey the scene with a skeptical eye. They claim that what I have encountered is merely a bear, a simple explanation that fails to capture the essence of what I've witnessed, but I know better. The truth lies beyond the mundane explanations. It resides in the realm of the cryptids where reality intertwines with myth. Despite the skepticism of others, I hold steadfast to my beliefs. My encounter with the creature only solidifies my conviction that there are forces at play beyond our comprehension. I was on a bike tour through the Baltics. Somewhere in Latvia, I hiked off the road to find my camping spot for the night. Normally, I like to set up just before sunset, but this day the ride was flowing and I lost track of time a little, so it was dark by the time I started to look for a place to settle in. I hiked through some thick for walking a bike at least, brush for about ten minutes before I came upon a spot that looked perfect. A little clearing just big enough for my tent and my bike. Set the bike down and shined my headlamp around and started stomping to find the softest place to pitch the tent. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw something on one of the trees. When I looked up, I realized that this ring of like five trees each had massive animal skulls hanging on them. So suddenly it was like I was being stared down upon by this ghostly audience. I turned around quickly to get my stuff and bumped into something I hadn't noticed hanging from a branch. It was an old woven plastic bag of rope that tore open when I bumped it and spilled rope at my feet. I hustled the F out there and rode about five more miles down the road before trying to find a camp spot again. Pretty sure it was just someone's badass forest chill zone. But when you're not expecting it, Man, suddenly it feels like you're gonna be the next sacrifice. Two friends and I went hiking at a nearby river trail. About two miles in, my friend said a nonchalant. Ow, and I looked behind me to see a massive copperhead on the ground and fang marks on her leg. It happened in an instant. We began walking back immediately, but the swelling and pain got so bad that I had to carry my friend. My friend that got bit was singing American, traditional songs like this land is your land in an eerie tone, along with somewhere over the rainbow. Over the course of the walk back and drive to the hospital, thankfully it was a pretty dry bite, even though their leg was 2.5 times its original size. I was just terrified the whole time. Nowhere near as bad as some other stuff on here, though and I'm so thankful they're okay. Afterward, their dad, an older Chinese immigrant, bought massive snake boots for them, which was just about the most out of character, but hilarious thing I had ever seen. Years ago, I went to a local swim spot with a friend and my ex-boyfriend about a mile or two in the woods. There usually wasn't many people there, but that day there was a Boy Scout troop at the normal spot. We would swim, so we went down a bit farther. My friend and I got in the water before my ex. I think he was smoking. We saw an old man downstream a bit and didn't think much of it until all of a sudden the man stripped down naked and proceeded to move towards us upstream. My friend and I never moved so quick to get out of there, and my ex could tell by our urgency we had to get out of there as soon as possible. We told him what we saw as we headed back to the car, but I will never forget how shocked I was at what had happened. I, 23 female was driving to park my car at a trailhead the night before starting a backpacking trip, and the plan was to meet my friend at the trailhead. 
Google Maps took me down a dirt road, and I immediately lost service, and it got dark out or started to pour rain. After seeing no one for over an AM hour on this road, I come across a guy riding his bike alone down the road, and he starts flagging me down and begging me to stop for him. He eventually convinced me to pick him up and take him into town. Ended up being a super nice guy, but man was I terrified when I first came across him as I already had a bad feeling about how the drive was going. My friend also wasn't happy when I pulled up to trailhead with a stranger in my car. Hiking in Banff National Park. It was about 2 a.m. on the second night of a three-day hike. I wake up to this noise. Thump, scrape, thump, scrape, over and over again. And it sounded close, like really close. It would stop for a while, then when I thought it was gone, there it goes again. No idea what it was, and my tent mate was asleep, and for once was not talking in his sleep. He would not wake up. So I decided to check it out. I am a white guy. We're supposed to go check out strange noises in the dark, right? Unzip the tent, and five feet away is a mule deer, digging at the ground and licking the dirt. Just keeps doing it and looking at me. So I go back to bed. Anyway, turns out there is very little salt in the area. If you pee on the ground, deer come and lick the pee like a salt lock. It is either that or a bone boat. I go off the grid for a few days every year. One year I decided to drive to Colorado and just hike. I had a little emergency gear and a big-ass bear. Typically the bears avoid people, but everybody knows a guy who had a friend. Anyway, I was in the woods on a well-traveled trail near Manitou Springs. I erk, it was called Williams Canyon Trail or something. And I spotted a cool-looking area off of the trail. It was a strange formation, a sheer rock and dirt wall with tree roots coming out of it. It was at least 15 feet tall. I got over to the formation without issues and heard the loud pop of something heavy breaking a branch. Because of the formation and dense trees, the acoustics were weird and I couldn't figure out where the noise came from. I tried to go back the way I came, but as soon as I walked back around the formation, I was face to face with a bear. It stood up. I was about 15 feet from the thing, and it was staring right at my face. I had done a nature thing in Oregon once that taught me how to run off a bear, but none of that was fresh on my mind in that instance. In fact, I completely forgot I had $25 worth of bear maize. To this day, I can't explain my thinking, but I angrily told the bear, hey man, go off off, and pointed away from the hiking trail. It looked at where I was pointing, looked back at me, and promptly fought away from the hiking trail. The adrenaline crash was pretty rough after that. I got the cold sweats and shook for several minutes once I got back to the trail. Also, it is good that I had relieved myself before hiking the trail or the sweats and shakes would have been the least memorable part of my walk back to my pickup truck. I was sitting by my campfire one night in an old-growth cypress swamp in the deep south, thinking about crawling in my tent and going to sleep. In the quiet of the night, I heard a four-wheeler moving through the woods on a trail about a quarter mile away. It stopped. Then I heard three shots. After a few moments, the sound faded again as it rode away. I decided it was most likely some trespassing redneck spotlighting deer and since there was nothing to be done about it, I went on to bed. Around 3 a.m. that night, I was jerked awake by sound of a pack of snarling, yipping coyotes. They were close, and they were ripping apart a wounded deer. The squealing sound the deer made while being eaten sounded almost like a screaming child, and I could hear that sound distinctly even over the snarls. In answer, two distant packs of coyotes up in the hills above the swamp began howling, and I felt the hair stand up on the back of my neck. The awful squealing stopped after a few minutes, but the snarling went on for some time as the coyotes fought over the torn carcass. I lay there in the dark for the rest of the night, 
listening in dread while the dying embers of my fire cast random freakish shadows against the walls of my tent. I was bike, packing a trail with a close friend of mine in early August. We had camped at the top of the pass for the night and were heading down the trail back to the road. The woods were silent except for the pouring rain and buzzing mosquitoes. I had a prickling feeling on the back of my neck like I was being watched, but every instinct I had was telling me to not look back. I was almost to the trailhead, coming around a sharp turn when I saw something big and dark and insanely fast move across the trail a ways behind me. I know it wasn't a moose or a bear, and it was too big to be a wolf. I would play it off as trick of the light, but for the feeling of almost overwhelming dread and fear. I've always been an avid mushroom picker roaming the woodlands of southeast Poland in search of edible treasures hidden among the undergrowth. One autumn day, I set out on my usual mushroom-picking expedition, hoping to return home with a bountiful harvest. As I wandered deeper into the forest, I stumbled upon something utterly bizarre, a concrete staircase that seemed to lead to nowhere. It was as if it should have led to a building that wasn't there, or perhaps a very tall plane. Curiosity piqued, I decided to investigate further. As I approached the staircase, I noticed that everything within a 100-meter radius was rotten and dead. The air carried a peculiar soapy smell that I couldn't quite place. When I stepped closer, the ground beneath my boots gave in and bubbled, as if reacting to my presence. Feeling unnerved, I quickly decided to leave this strange place behind. I hurried back home, washed myself thoroughly, and disposed of my clothes and boots. However, in the days that followed, I developed a nasty cough and a painful rash that seemed to spread across my body. Concerned, I visited the doctor, who ran a series of tests on me. Eventually, he concluded that my symptoms were caused by irritation from a strongly basic substance, similar to lye. The diagnosis left me with more questions than answers. To this day, I still wonder what that mysterious staircase was doing in the middle of the woods. Could it have been the remnants of an old soap factory or warehouse? And if so, why was it located in such a remote and desolate place? Despite my efforts to uncover the truth, the enigma of the concrete staircase remains one of the strangest and most unsettling experiences of my life. My dad worked as a cop in a small town here in Montana. Nothing really out of the ordinary, just burglars and kids playing pranks. Domestic violent stuff. Yeah. That was ordinary for him. As my siblings and I grew older, we learned some pretty unnerving stuff about people and our neighbors. Some people are just evil. No justification is necessary. My father is a very no-nonsense kind of man. He's also an atheist and very skeptical about things like the paranormal, especially considering most of the crap he's had to deal with involved real-life humans or animals. But there is one situation he never got cleared up. There are lots of abandoned houses where we grew up. My town definitely saw better times in the past. There were some pretty elegant buildings left to decay. Kids would play there, urban exploration, and there were a few emergencies concerning drug dealers and gangs, mostly calls from scared neighbors or people who saw weird stuff. One night, and my father is sent with a partner towards an abandoned place because a kid and an elderly woman saw a witch man dancing to a fire in the backyard, apparently. He thought it was either a druggie or some sort of gang activity. It had to go. The worst is that they can only find it would be local kids lighting up a bonfire, and they'd have to stop them and make them toss out the fire before things got out of control. So, they met a bunch of neighbors complaining about the noise and lights, and everybody kept talking about the witch man. My father's companion says he saw somebody moving on the floor above, so they got to the house, announced themselves, and just get inside, because naturally nobody answered. 
Once inside, they say the prank was successful and fun, but that it's time to stop. The neighbors have had enough. They start to register the place. A room for room, and they only see old stuff, but really nothing of value. It must have been stolen. Same for the second floor. But there, and my father begins feeling tense, and so does his partner, like they were being watched. But they saw nobody, and it's not like there were many places left to hide, really. In the end, both my father and his partner saw something shiny outside, orange light of fire. But when they looked at the window, they saw nobody there. They talked to the police station via the radio, hearing more complaints about the noise, but nothing else. Both walk around the garden and saw nothing, and that's what they told the worried neighbors. It was not until they reached the station that they saw the people they were giving them odd looks. A lady from admin later showed them an audio recording. In it, you could hear my father and his colleague describing what he saw on the neighbors' complaints, yelling noises in the background from an angry man with a very deep, raspy voice. The noises were slushed and weird, but it said something like, Get out. This is my place. They received a few more emergency calls. Nobody ever found anything really relevant. To this day, my father, who I repeat is still a firm non-believer, still feels rather creeped out when he remembers that event. I live in Australia and as a teenager of about 13 or 14, being a person from a underprivileged and mostly neglected background, and my escape at time was to disappear into the bush on my own, very often for a few days at a time. I was in an area that was off limits to people as it formed part of a very large water catchment. I had no fear of being out there on my own, and my biggest concern was being caught by a waterboard ranger or running into other people. This was back in the 80s with no mobile phones or jeeps available. I'd camped out for the night on a hill that I'd stayed at many times before, and I knew the lay of the land well, and come the morning I'd decided to head back to the road that was about five kilometers away via a ridgeline. It was very rare to come across other people out here, but this morning I could hear people talking in the distance in the direction I had to travel. I felt that I really needed to avoid these people discovering. I was out there in this very isolated place. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. So I decided to go around them by walking down into a valley and to follow the bottom of the valley for some distance and then make my way back uphill to the ridge behind them. I had reached the bottom of the valley and walking along very quietly, watching where I stepped not breaking any branches or snapping twigs as the sound would travel a long way. I often would startle wildlife when I walked out in these areas and was quite used to seeing a kangaroo or wallaby suddenly spring up out of nowhere and bound up to a safer distance away from me. And that is what I expected from this kangaroo that had just stood up about 15 meters in front of me, except it didn't bound away. It just looked at me. I was looking back at it. I realized this kangaroo was much larger than the ones I would normally come across and he had a number of mates with him maybe eight or nine of them all within about 50 meters of me and they were not going anywhere they stood up tall and looked right at me and were about twice my size and very muscled up i stood where i was for about five minutes 
With him looking at me and me looking right back, we were at a standoff. I was considering walking through this group, but by this stage I had started to get quite intimidated by their total lack of fear of me and their sheer size. I decided my best option was to back out the way I'd come feeling more confident they would just go back to their grazing once I was out of sight, so that is what I did. This was a very unsettling experience for me to be intimidated by something I expected would avoid me, but due to the isolation of this place, I don't think they had ever come across people before, so they didn't have the fear of man that most others would have. After that, I never went back into the catchment area knowing there was a big mob in there, and I was more afraid of them than they were of me. When I was in college, I worked a couple of odd jobs to help pay the bills. They were mostly mundane, but one shook me to my core. I was working for the city parks and lakes division at a local lake. It was a job that did involve some hard work, cleaning and repairing the boats and motors, but it also had more than enough downtime. Whenever there was no work to do, my co-workers and I would sit around in the shade on the dock and talk. When I first started, it was mostly the other guys telling me stories about the lake. Most of them were your run-of-the-mill fisherman stories, but there were a few with a much darker feel. It wasn't long before I started to have my own odd and outers in the park. I split my time working there between the boat dock and working night security in the campground. One night as I was driving the work truck around the lake into the campgrounds, part of my hourly patrol... I saw a pale blue light just above the road, probably 100 feet in front of my truck. As I got close, the light grew in intensity. Then when I was about 30 feet away, it took on a smoky appearance and dissipated in the night sky. That incident was definitely odd, but not at all in a scary sort of way. The next two incidents I had during the night shift, which led to me refusing to work the shift anymore were definitely more disturbing and physical. Maybe a month after I saw the floating light, I was driving down the hill from the campground back to the lake when I saw a man run out of the bushes. He was dirty, terrified, and wearing only his underwear. The first thought I had was that he was on drugs. The campground was cheap, so we did get our fair share of homeless drug addicts. I quickly realized that wasn't the case, however. The second he saw my truck, he came running towards me, clearly not looking to hurt me, but rather for me to save him. When he was still a few yards away, I was going to open my window to ask what was wrong when suddenly I saw a second person run out of the bushes. This time it was a woman. Her t-shirt was torn and dirty. Her legs scratched from running through the bushes without pants on. I was confused to say the least, but the confusion quickly turned to anxiety when I saw she was carrying a large knife. Obviously, this is what the man was running from. He didn't seem to notice her at first, so I motioned to the passenger door, hoping he would get it so we could drive off and call the police before she got too close. As I was motioning to him was when he spotted her. He looked me in the eyes, and I could tell he knew he should run to the truck, but I watched as the panic overtook him, and he ran. The woman chased after, both heading across the road down into the brush towards the lake. I drove off to the park ranger station and called the police. I could hear the echoes of the man screaming and the woman's yelling. I talked to the police after they handled the situation. The man had been stabbed, but he would live. I went home, obviously shaken. Two months after that, I was driving the truck through the campground, and I saw what looked like a military-style duffel bag hanging from a tree. The closer I got, the more definition the shape took. By the time I was at the campsite, I already had the police on the phone. I could hear the wife sleeping in the tent, but I decided I would let the police wake her and inform her that her husband had hanged himself. I never worked the night shift again. I thought if I worked strictly during the day on the boat dock, all this would stop. I was wrong. I did work an entire summer without incident, but it was in the winter that it happened. It was a cold winter by San Diego standards at least. Many times my shift would start before the sunrise, having to get the boats ready for all the fishermen coming in the early morning hours trying for trout. On one particular morning I got to work around 5 a.m. 
It was cold in the mid-thirties with frost still on the ground. I walked straight onto the dock and into the shed we used as a workshop. Most of the mornings, the only employees at the park were me, a young woman who worked the concession stand and a park ranger. Often the park ranger would come down to the dock about 20 minutes into my shift to make sure I had everything I needed. On this morning, I was inside the workshop with the door closed, space heater on, and was working on a broken motor. I could tell when another person walked onto the dock because it would make the whole dock bob slightly in the water. I felt the dock rise and fall beneath my feet and kept at my work, assuming it was just the ranger. I could tell the footsteps went up to the door, paused for a second, then continued towards the end of the dock. After about five minutes without feeling the footsteps return, I opened the door to see what the ranger was up to. I looked to the end of the dock and no one was there. I assumed I must have mistaken the slight waves of the water for footsteps, but noticed the water was smooth as glass and that all the boats were tied up. I took a step out of the shop to get a better look and could hear the crunch of frost under my feet. When I looked down, I noticed that there were two sets of footprints. One was mine going from the shore straight to the shop. The second went past the shop, down the edge of the dock, and stopped. There were no prints going off the dock. I turned and saw the ranger walk towards the dock down the shore. I quit once he got within earshot. I was a 21-year-old male, 240 pounds. Not a small or weak-looking guy. I was wanting to lose some weight for a while now and had been going on walks for a bit, sometimes during the evening or very late at night. It was Florida and it gets hot unless it's nighttime. Plus, like I said, I'm a big dude. I, I got nothing to worry about, or so I thought. One fateful night, I decided to go out walking around my neighborhood around 3 a.m. and like a big puffy jacket and black pants. Feel like in this situation, I would be the creepy person someone would be scared of. My walk was going good as usual and was actually getting close to the end of it. Then this like old school wood panel passes by and goes into a driveway somewhat in front of me. I barely think anything of it. Always three. Six cars go by on one of these late-night excursions. What happens next is what unsettled me. This van pulls back out of the driveway with its lights off after I pass by the driveway. Luckily, I wasn't listening to any music or else I wouldn't have heard it. The van then proceeds to pull out and drive towards me and stops right in front of me. At this point, I know I don't want to end up like some kind of horror movie character, so I book it in the opposite direction. I go down an off-branching street and keep going down these random streets to give me as much time as possible. I end up hiding in some random ass bushes in someone's yard and stay there for a little bit. I wanted to text my mom, but I was scared and didn't want the light from my phone to give me away, so I watch for any sign of them. Nothing for five minutes, just as you think the coast is clear. Boom, I hear a car coming down the street, and it's those men, but with their lights on this time. I'm pretty hidden in these bushes right against someone's house, so they just go by, but my heart is beating so fast, and I'm terrified in this moment. I wait a little bit more till I truly believe the coast is clear and get back to my house. I wake up my mom, and we call the cops, and I give them as much info as possible. They said they would patrol the neighborhood, and I don't hear anything more. I just can't help thinking about that event and what their motives were. I always try to debunk shit like that, but all their actions pointed to wanting to do something to me. But what did they want to do? I'm not a pretty young lady. I'm a very large, menacing dude. My neighborhood is not even nice enough to rob. Very just middle class. And what the F am I going to have on me while walking at 2 a.m.? So I just can't help but think maybe they didn't want to kidnap me or mug me, but kill me. It freaks me out to this day. I experienced a handful of peculiar occurrences, but they ceased until I met my wife. In our first apartment, an unseen presence would tap on the soles of my feet as I slept. 
Every other day for two months after returning home from work, the microwave clock would read 514, while the one on my nightstand read 714, despite all other clocks displaying the correct time. In our kitchen hung a wine bottle holder. My wife always positioned the labels outward, but occasionally all bottles except the top one and bottom one would inexplicably have their labels facing inward. The bullet casings from my grandfather's funeral flag lined up on the bookshelf would occasionally rearrange themselves. When our lease expired, we moved to another apartment where the only oddity was the persistent foot tapping as I tried to sleep. The year following, we built our own house. In the two years we've lived here, a variety of oddities has persisted. I've noticed shadows without sources, and the foot tapping continues. Our cat and dog often seem to follow something invisible around the room with their gaze. A small pig statue on a dining room shelf rotates on its own. Footsteps echo on the wooden laminate floor we installed in the living room day and night. The wine bottles also persist in their rotation, as in our first apartment. My wife finds these events somewhat unnerving, but we mostly view them as a source of entertainment. We've made a game of spotting what's changed each time we walk into the house. Our resident ghost, which we've affectionately named Bud, hasn't ever displayed any violent or threatening behavior. In fact, we've taken to talking to Bud. However, the day we returned home to find all four stove burners switched on twice in a row did unsettle us. After the second incident, I addressed Bud directly, requesting that he not leave the stove on and risk burning the house down. Since then, it hasn't happened again. Through all these occurrences, I can't help but believe in the presence of something beyond our understanding. I often wonder what prompted this entity to make itself known, and why Bud has chosen to follow us. Despite the peculiarities, it's been mostly harmless in, in a strange way, Bud has become a part of our family. One time when I was little, my dad loved to find the most remote of waterways in Canada. I'm talking waterways that weren't even on maps, before cell phone and robust technology, because the fishing was better. We stopped on a patch of land to cook our lunch, which was some fish we caught, over a portable grill. While my dad was cleaning the fish, my younger brother and I went exploring. Not too far into the woods, we found this cave-like structure with man-made structures around the entrance. Every hair on my body stood up, and I had an overwhelming feeling of being watched. So I grabbed my brother, and we immediately ran back to camp. As we were coming back, an enormous rock came hurling into the air and almost hits our boat within inches. My dad turned to yell at us, screaming that we almost hit the boat and to knock it off, but we were running towards him from the opposite direction of the rock trajectory. I saw the WTF look on my dad's face and immediately started to yell about a cave. We noped out so quickly, leaving everything behind, grill and all. My dad and mom were both worked up in a way I've never seen before. We'll never forget that feeling. An old friend of mine had a canine search and rescue operation and had several dogs that had different skills. He had dogs that were trained for different things, one to search for human remains, one that was trained to search for live survivors, including through the rubble of accident or disaster sites, and even a little dog that could detect bed bugs. I would sometimes help in the training of the dogs by hiding in the woods or in hard-to-reach areas, and I love doing it. It's amazing to see these incredible animals working. Plus, I love them. I sat with them a lot when he was out searching in different parts of the country for actual victims. One afternoon, we were walking through the park with a cadaver dog, a beautiful German shepherd who was the face of the company. Not working, but we did have our canine search and rescue attire on when a man approached. He stopped us to ask if he could pet her, which is not uncommon, and she was super friendly and sweet, so we said, of course. The weird thing is that the moment he stopped, the dog immediately gave her signal and laid down right by his feet. 
My friend and I looked at each other almost in horror because the dog was signaling that she detected human remains. She was the most experienced of all the dogs and would not have made a mistake. It was clearly her signal. It spooked us both so much that we cut the conversation short and left quickly. To this day, we have no idea what that was about. I should also add that she was trained to detect human remains. She was taught not to alert on animal remains. I still think about that day a lot. After posting it in the other sub, there have been a lot of theories from fellow Redditors. Everything from mortician to rotting toes or even a dead man's shoes. But none of those reasons would have caused this response, and I honestly still have no idea. And neither does my friend, who is a professional. I think seeing him spooked was even more unnerving. He's an army vet that's been in combat in EMT and a firefighter and has seen some shit, so he's pretty calm in every situation. While conducting soil sampling in the vast Australian outback, far removed from any signs of civilization, my companion and I stumbled upon an unexpected encounter. Taking a break for lunch, we sought respite beneath the shade of a tree by the dry creek. As we settled in, having been there for several minutes, a faint sound caught our attention, a whispered stist as if someone were attempting to get our notice. Perplexed, we glanced around, fully aware that the likelihood of another person's presence was virtually impossible in such a remote location. Yet, to our astonishment, the voice persisted, beckoning us with a casual paste. Hey, mate, up here. Raising our gaze, we discovered the source of the voice. A sniper perched high up in the very tree that sheltered us. The revelation left us stunned. Little did we know that part of this individual's training involved occupying tree perches for days on end, diligently targeting feral cats. The encounter caught us both off guard, and it appeared that the sniper was equally taken aback to find another human presence in the desolate expanse we found ourselves in. It was a moment of mutual surprise and disbelief an unexpected meeting in one of the most remote regions of Australia, where the vastness of the land stretches endlessly in all directions. You wanted a strange story, so here's my strange story. First, let me say that I'm the ultimate skeptic. I do not believe in ghosts and stuff that goes bump in the night. As you can tell, I'm from the South. I do a lot of fishing at night. I call it lazy man fishing. You put a lure on the end and put a bell on the end and you pull watch the thing. So I'm fishing one night on my local pond in Shelby County, Alabama. I'm down there on the lake. And I gotta say I keep myself. I'm always armed. I like to believe that if you can get through 12 rounds then you can get to me so I feel pretty safe. So I'm fishing one night, and I get through fishing, and I'm getting ready to leave. I load everything up, and I pull out onto the main road, and I see this dog come across the road, or what I think is a dog. It's about 50 yards up the road. It turns around and looks in my direction. It looks straight at me, but it ain't got no eye. Shine, which I find weird, because it should have eye. Shine. So I get along, and it's in the left-hand lane, and I drive by. I looked down at the dog, and the dog looked weird to me. I thought, there's something strange about that dog. Well, I go on past him and go up the road. Curiosity gets the best of me, so I turn around. So I come back down the road, and there's the dog, or the animal, down in the ditch. Now to give you an example of the size of the animal. I have a mountain cur named Charlie. He's probably 45 to 50 pounds. If you know what a cur dog is, you know about the size I'm talking about. So I pull down into the ditch. I mean, headlights on bright, you know. I'm less than 10 feet from this animal. I'm looking at it at the windshield. I'm looking at it. This dog ain't got no hair, and his eyes are a little bit larger than normal. What a dog's eyes would be, and they are solid black. I have no idea what it could be. As I said, I'm a skeptic. I know what I saw. If I'm lying, I'm dying. 
George Nury, the host, asks if it had mange. That's what I thought, but no, it looked. It didn't have the you know, usually with a dog with mange. It's got patches of hair on it. This didn't have no patches of hair anywhere on it. Nuri asks if it was a dog. Well, I say it was a dog, but with black eyes. You never know. It was strange. I can't explain it. Back in 1979, I found this while visiting my grandparents in Carmichael's township, Pennsylvania, Greene County, for the weekend. One of my uncles is having a house built on a piece of land about a quarter mile down the road from my grandparents' house. My uncle was over at my other uncle's house a few miles away. My father wanted to go see his property in construction progress, so we walked down the road to see it for ourselves. A workman's van parked in the front part of the property where he kept all his tools and some other equipment. His dog, a big German shepherd that loved to bark and make his presence known to everyone, was chained to his van as a deterrent to anyone that might try to steal his tools. As we approached my uncle's property, we noticed that his dog wasn't barking or growling. His dog had crawled underneath the van and was whining like it was scared. I remember my father, and I thought this is very odd, but decided to walk around back where the new house was being built. About 50 to 60 feet beyond his work bin where his work van was parked was a hill that was dug out for the foundation of the new house. There's also a large tree there, and that is where we saw it. My father saw it first and told me to stop. It was large. It was wide, and it was black. The creature must have heard us and was leaning against the tree, just staring at us. We temporarily froze. It slowly moved so that it was partially behind the tree, and its head was visible from the other side, kind of like he was playing peek. Ah, boo! I remember my father leaning to the side to get a better view when this creature stepped out from behind the tree in full view. That was a point when my father threw me over his shoulder and did a full-on sprint back to my grandparents' house, a quarter mile away. He didn't appear to be aggressive, but I guess my father didn't want to take any chances. We got to their house, and my father yelled for everyone to get in the back room and stay put. He called his other brother that lived on the other side of town and told him to bring his shotguns. Both of his brothers showed up, and they all went back down the road to investigate, hence the saying, there's nothing more dangerous than a scared human being. They didn't find anything, not even the dog who had crawled back up underneath the van. My uncles gave me and my dad a bunch of grief over this whole story and said we had just seen a black bear. Well, that was no black bear. Being that this event happened so long ago, I can't accurately say how tall the creature was. It was 50 to 60 feet away, but it was larger than any person I've ever seen, maybe 7 or 8 feet tall. What really stuck with me over these years was just how wide the creature was. It was massive, probably twice the width of a large man. It is pretty much spot with that Bigfoot scene in the Patterson, Gimlin film. A few days later, one of my uncles called my father when he went back to work a couple of days later. He said one of his co-workers actually approached him and said, You're not going to believe what I think I saw over the weekend when I was out fishing. Apparently, there were numerous sightings over the weekend from several miles away, and the local news people even wrote an article about it. 